Welcome to the Fremont Community Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. We are a family of believers who meet in Fremont, Indiana every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. We are attempting to follow Jesus by loving God and loving people. If you would like to support Fremont Community Church, go to www.fremontcommunity.org. I don't want to waste our time today. I love you, Lord. Amen. So last week we talked about purpose. That was the topic of our conversation. It was purpose. And I said, and we, we talked about the fact that the purpose God has called us, we talked about the fact that every human needs purpose. Purpose is required for humanity, or else we don't work correctly. Uh, we talked about how God created us with a purpose, and that that purpose is to love him and to love each other. That that is God's purpose for mankind. That we be loved and love, that we would love and be loved, however you want to say that, that that is the purpose that God has created us with. And the Lord has continued to speak to me about this over the past week, just in, in, uh, in powerful ways, ministering to my spirit. And I felt like the Lord wanted me to bring, to bring us, you know, a, we've been talking about the call of God. This is kind of in that, this is all a part of that discussion. That God has called us to a purpose and that our purpose is to love him and to love each other. That the reason that you exist, the very reason that you exist, the reason God called you into being, formed you in your mother's womb, and has held you in being until this day, is because you are to love. You were created by love for love. That is so huge and so important, and we need to understand it, because until love is the central drive of who we are, we will not be happy, and we will not be holy. We will not be happy, nor will we be holy, because humanity has for years and years tried to, point, tried to put other things in, that, in the place of that purpose. They've tried to put money there. They've tried to put power there. They've tried to put sex there. They've tried to put, you name it, we've tried to make it our purpose. But it never works because that's not what we were created for. We were created to love. And that is why we exist. God pulled, created you. He pulled you in out of nothingness and into being so that he could love you and to offer you the opportunity to love him in return. You see, that's important that you understand that distinction. You see, love doesn't control. 
people sometimes will say, why did God even put that other tree in the garden? You know, Adam and Eve, and we know the fall, right? And there was two, you know, Adam, God built this garden, right? And he put Adam and Eve in the garden. And then, and then uh, God says to him, God says to them, well, here you, there's, there's a tree in the middle of the garden that you're not supposed to eat from. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree, and the day you eat from it, you will surely die. Why did God even put that tree in the garden? I'll tell you why. Because he, he is interested in people who are choosing to live out the purpose for which they were created. He's interested in the people who have the ability to make their own choice. And the followers he wants, the people that he wants as a part of his kingdom, are people that are choosing to follow him. They're not forced to follow him. They're not threatened into following him. They're not, none of that, no, no, no. They're choosing to follow him because they love him. That's what he wants. People who have chosen to love God and have chosen to follow him. Does that make sense? That doesn't seem like a radical idea, but it really is. Because what God did is he made himself vulnerable. God could, have, God could have just created little robots that did everything he told them to do with no problems and no, you know, he didn't need to give them free will at all. That was, that was, and, and there are definitely days when I'm like, God, that was just not your, your best idea there, God. Free will, not your best idea. You know, maybe if you could give us, and I've always prayed that the Lord would, um, you know, give me the ability to turn my children's free will off. Just for a few years, you know? Uh, Mark Twain once said that, you know, children should be kept in a barrel and fed through a knot hole, and then when they turn 13, plug the hole. <laughs> children have free will, right? And that is really difficult sometimes when they are not doing things that are good for them and you know that and you're saying, I, I don't want you. I want you to do this and not that. But they have free will. And here's the thing, my friends. It is not a parent's job to rob their child of their will. No. It's not a parent's job to rob their child of their will. It is a parent's job to teach them how to use their will wisely. It's a parent's job to teach their child how to use their will wisely for the purpose for which they, create, they were created, which was to love. The way that we do that is that we love them first, And we let them know when they're not reciprocating. <laughs> and as they grow in wisdom, well, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, as they grow in capability, <laughs> and hopefully in wisdom, you never know, but as they grow in capability and in wisdom, we give them more opportunities to make choices. 
right? We take away the blockages to will, and we hope and pray that they make the right choice. Last night was my son Aiden's junior prom. He's a junior in high school, right? And he went to prom last night. And as a parent, <laughs> you're watching your child get into a vehicle that they're driving and go away with a girl. She's great, but still, it's a girl. To a place where I'm not going to be, right? And you just say, one of our favorite things is to look at our children and say, be wise and remember who you are. But after that, I've lost all control. I have to put my trust in whatever I've put in him over the last 17 years. Woo, that's scary. It is, it's scary. As a parent, it's frightening. But that is exactly what God has done for you. And that is exactly what God is doing. God says, God created us, and God placed, God, in the, in the old, you know, back then, he placed us in the garden, and then he gave us responsibility, and he said, and I'll be here every night, because I love you, and I'm, we're going to walk together, and we're going to build a relationship together, but I'm giving you this responsibility, go use it wisely. With Adam and Eve, the story is he told them, I'm going to bring the animals to you and you can name all the animals. That was the first responsibility God gave to Adam, you know. And, and so imagine, I always imagine that God cringed at a couple of the names that Adam gave. You know that God didn't tell them, look, Adam, here's an elephant. It's an elephant, Adam. No. He said, hey, look at this guy. I'm going to bring you this animal. What are you going to call it? And whatever Adam called it, that's what it's going to be called from that point until forever. That is what they did. What a responsibility. Think about it for a second. What a responsibility. And what a cool thing that God was doing. He was saying, here you go, son. Living out of relationship with me. Living out of my perfect, my perfect protection, my perfect provision for you. I'm going to give you responsibility and I want you to use your creativity to do something with me. And whatever, he, it's on you. He's handing that off. God did not get control, controlling about the names that Adam gave to the animals. I think I would have. No, platypus is a terrible name. Oh my gosh. Really? I know the bird looks silly, but a dodo, I mean, that's mean. No, I don't think that happened at all. It was just a, God rejoiced in Adam's creativity and in Adam's thought. And I want you to think about this. Because here's what the Lord has done. He has created us and he has called us to purpose, but he has set us loose and set us free in his love to carry out that purpose by whatever means we have within us. Does this make sense? 
And do you understand how frightening it is? It's frightening to me that some people in this world were given responsibilities that they were given. Haven't you ever seen someone who has, a, who has a child and you're like, why, God, why? We license people to drive, but you gave them a kid. Are you with me, everybody? Unfortunately, that's too real, right? But this is how God works. So God has not only given you a purpose, which is to love and to be loved, but he's given you freedom to make your own choice about how that purpose will be fulfilled. I always think about the rich young ruler. You know what story I'm talking about? So there was a young man who came to Jesus. And he comes to Jesus in the midst of the height of Jesus' popularity, and the Bible calls him a rich young ruler. He is a young, up-and-coming star in the Jewish circle. He's got money, and apparently he's quite religious. He is, he is the it guy in the Jewish circle, right? And when he comes to Jesus, my guess, now the Bible doesn't say this directly, but my guess, just because of the way people respond, my guess is that people were like, ooh, if Jesus gets this guy as one of his disciples, it's going to be really good for the Jesus movement. Do you know what I mean? Like, ooh. I don't know who the it, I'm, I don't, you know, I don't keep track of who the it guys are, you know, nowadays. But insert your favorite it guy you know, the fa your favorite guy that everybody would be like, ooh, who is it, you know? I mean, I don't know. Give me a suggestion. Stephen Furtick, okay. Well, he is one of Jesus' guys. But I was thinking about in the world, like outside of the church circle, think about, think about some guy that is an, an up-and-comer in the, in the world, on the world stage. You know, maybe he's a, maybe, maybe he's a, what was, a, you know, maybe he's an actor and everybody knows who he is and they respect his work. Maybe he's a politician and, you know, people are like, ooh, I'm going to vote for that guy. He's, you know, he's an up-and-comer, right? Or maybe he's a, or maybe, you know, just he's a popular dude and he's wealthy. And imagine if Jeff Bezos walked in the back door, the owner of Amazon, the richest man on the planet right now. And he walked in the back door and he was like, I'm thinking about becoming a member of this church. Right? And immediately I'm going, I'm teaching on tithe for the next five weeks. That's what we're thinking, though. That's this dude. And he walks up to Jesus, and he makes a very loaded request. He says, what do I have to do to get into the kingdom of heaven? And maybe when you read that, you don't go where I go. My brain immediately goes to, how big does the check need to be, Jesus, for me to get in on the ground floor of this opportunity we call the Jesus movement. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, you need to follow all the commandments, you know. And the guy's like, well, I've been doing that since I was a kid. I am a commandment follower. I've got all the badges, all of the whistles, all of the gold stars. 
And she's like, okay, well, there's one thing left, one thing you lack. I want you to give away all your money and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Don't give it to me. I don't want it. Give it to the poor, and then you can come follow me. What? (laughs) Jeff Bezos, I want you to sell Amazon. Not only that, I want you to break it up into little pieces so that it's no longer one company. I want you to get rid of it completely. No more Amazon. I want you to sell it, and I want you to give away all of your stock and everything. Just give away all of your money, all of your yachts, all your race cars, all of your mansions. I want you to sell it all. Give all the money to the poor. Don't keep a single dollar for yourself, and then you can come follow me. Woof. And here's the, here's the part of the story that, I'm want, that I want you to pay attention to. The man just looks at Jesus, shakes his head, and leaves. He walks off. He leaves. Now, there's a whole lot of leaders in the world that would have been really tempted to be like, I'm just kidding, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> you, got, it's, you come on back. You only have to give half your stuff away. It'll be okay, right? Not Jesus, though. Jesus, Jesus just lets him go. See you, Jeff. Why? Because that's what God does. You see, God wants you to make a decision. Are you going to follow him or are you not? Are you going to fulfill the purpose that God has given you? And not only that, how are you going to do it? What's it going to look like? How are you going to, how are you going to walk out your purpose of loving him and loving the people around you? What is it going to look like? That's up to you too. The door is wide open. I want you to come in here. I want you to be yourself, Karen. I want you to be who you are with me. And I'm going to be with you as you do it. And I am going to love you as you do it. I'm going to use you as you to do everything that I have called you to do. Because that's what I want. I don't want you to become this little cookie cutter whatever. I don't want you to follow someone else's path. I don't want you to make decisions because of fear or shame or guilt. I want you to leave all that stuff behind, and I want you to follow me and fulfill your life's purpose in the way that I created you to fill it. Using your good sense, asking me for help. You're allowed to ask me for help, and I'll give you help. But I'm not going to make decisions for you, and I am not, I'm not going to come into your room and wake you up in the morning. Okay, it's time to get up and do your devotions. Okay, it's time to go to church. Okay, it's time to build a relationship with other Christians. He gave us Jesus, and Jesus is our example, and we watch how Jesus lived his life, and we think, I want to live, my, I want to live life the way Jesus did. But that's it. Now, depending on what kind of person you are, that is either a really freeing thing that I've just told you. You mean I get to be myself and follow Jesus 
as myself. I don't have to become, I don't have to bend my whole will to become some other kind of person so that I can find, that's amazing. Oh, I feel so loved that I get to make, I get to make the choices to love Jesus the way that I'm built to love Jesus. Some of you are saying that. Some of you, I hope, are are saying, wow, that's great. And you're energized by that choice to run up. Well, now I know I'm all these things that I want to do for Jesus. And there's that thing. I see that need over there. And boy, I really want to see that need met. And I'll bet Jesus wants to see it met too. So I'm going to give my life to loving people that way. Or, oh, look at this issue. Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to give my life to loving people this way and loving God this way. Oh, I love worship and I love being involved in music. So I'm going to love God by getting up in front of the whole congregation and leading them in worship. That's what I'm going to do because that's what I was built to do. And I'm so excited to do the things that I was built to do. Oh, I'm really good at getting people to give me all their stuff. And, and, and then I turn around and sell it and make lots of money. So I'm going to start doing garage sales a couple times a year. Because that's what the Lord's leading me to do. Because the Lord looks at who I am and the things I have in me and says, I want you to be you in love with me and in love with people, and I'm going to use that. So some of you are excited. But some of you are going, this is exhausting. Why doesn't he just tell me what to do? Pastor, I need a step-by-step plan. On how to follow Jesus, I need one, two, three, I need A, B, C. You can do three points, five points, or seven points, but that's it. There's no four-point messages. The step-by-step plans are fine, and they are great. And I usually do give you three points, five points, or seven (laughs) points. But those are, from, those are things that you and Jesus get to work on together. If you're a person that needs a step-by-step plan, I know you are. Yes, you are. And you're not the only one in this room that needs a step-by-step plan. That's awesome. Jesus' invitation to people like you is, let's sit down and make one together. See, I built you that way. I created you that way. There's a bunch of other people in here that need step-by-step plans too. So let's sit down together and make a step-by-step plan for how we're going to get from A to B. But it's always going to come from how I created you. Because it's always about freedom and never about control. Jesus' love sets us free. It doesn't put us in a box. It doesn't tie us up. It doesn't make us. It doesn't control us. It doesn't passive-aggressively kind of, well, I really wish you would do this, but if you're not going to. You know, everybody hates to be passive-aggressively controlled, but almost everybody likes to be passive-aggressive. I wonder what that's about. And if you're sitting in here going, I'm never passive-aggressive. Yeah, you are. I love you. And maybe not all the time, but you are sometimes. Just, just, 
And, and it might be really good for the people around you that you love for you to discover the times that you're being passive aggressive and stop. Um, yeah. I'm, sp I'm speaking to myself, too. Because I'm always like, I am not a passive-aggressive person, but then I catch myself in passive-aggressiveness. Does everybody know what passive-aggressive means? It means, okay, let me give you a really, let me, let me give you a, my personal definition of what it means to be passive-aggressive. It's when you have something that you want, but you will not communicate it clearly, but you still expect other people to understand and do that thing that you want them to do. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? That's passive aggression. Passive, aggressive, passive aggression is, I have this thing that I want you to do. You should already know that what it is that I want you to do. And I'm going to be mad at you if you don't do it but I am not going to tell you to do it or ask you to do it. Guys, my friends, I love you very much. That is the devil. I'm just going to be clear. That is not a way. <laughs> that is a way of controlling people. That is not a way of setting people free. And love sets people free. You want to know how to set people free? It isn't. Oh, fine, I'm just going to crawl in a hole and never ask anything of anyone. That's not setting people free. Because they're not free to love you when you're not present. And we're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks or maybe next week, about how love requires presence. Which is the, I keep putting that sermon off because it's the one I want to hear the least. I don't want to study that, Jesus, because I don't like being present. I'm an introvert. Anyway. You want to know how to set people free? Clearly communicate your expectations and be okay with them not meeting them. That's setting people free. That's what God has done. That's what God did to Adam and Eve, right? You can eat from all the trees in the garden except for that one. Now do what you want to do. And there were consequences for eating from, from that tree. That's freedom. Freedom is, here's, here's what I would love to see, but you are free to do it or not to do it. Passive aggression is the other, the expectation without the communication. That's, that's passive aggression. And it's, it is a method of control. It is not a way of setting people free. Imagine how free we would all be if we all felt free enough to communicate our expectations with each other, but also free enough to be okay with people telling us no. Because that's most of the reason people don't communicate effectively. It's because they're going to be, they're going to feel rejected when, when you tell them no. But then when that person doesn't do what you wanted them to do because they didn't know you wanted them to do it, you still feel rejected? So where did you land yourself? 
This isn't what the sermon was supposed to be about. But here's the idea. The idea is you are called to love, and you've been given this as your purpose. Your purpose is to spend your life every single day loving the people that you encounter and loving Jesus. And what I am telling you today, that was, that was last Sunday's message. This Sunday's message is you are free to do that in the way that you were created to do it. Love is a choice. Love is a decision that we make. And you are free to love people or not to love them. Based, and you are free to love people by being yourself. But love would never ask you to be someone you are not. Does that make sense? I think we are all, we all have such beat up pictures of love that when we hear that, it's really hard to believe it. Well, yeah, love does ask me to be somebody I'm not. No, it, it doesn't. You might even look at some of God's commandments and say, see, that's God asking me to be something I'm not. No, it's really not. It's, it's God saying, hey, that's harmful for you, so don't do that. All of God's commandments are about protection, protecting you. All of them. That's the only reason he gave them to you. Sin is destructive and causes you to be in pain, causes you to suffer. And so God wants you to stay away from it. But that's, that's why it's sin, because it's bad for you. Does that make sense? All right. We need to come to the Lord's table now. So if I can get a few people to... Communion, my friends, is a, uh, is, is a rehearsal of something that Jesus instituted at the end of his ministry. And it is, an appro- it is appropriate that at the end of this message that we would participate in communion because... The communion cup was a marriage proposal. Jesus stood up before his disciples and he recited his culture's version of getting down on one knee and saying, would you make me the happiest man in the world? We all know what that means, right? Because we've seen enough movies and we've seen enough people get, get down on one knee, pull out a ring and say, make me the happiest man in the world, right? We've seen that. What does that mean? He's asking them to marry, right? He's asking her to marry him. In Jesus' culture, it sounded like this. You know my dad? So you also know me. And I am going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also.
And what this young man would do at his betrothal ceremony is there would be a big party with the whole family there, and the bride would come, and sometimes this would be the first time that the bride would ever meet the groom, which is kind of scary, right? But sometimes this party would be the first time that they would lay eyes on each other. And at some point at the beginning of the party, the groom would say, would hold up a cup of wine, and he would take a little sip of it, and then he would sit, and then he would put that cup of wine down, and he would look his prospective bride in the eye, and he would say, I am now going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I come back, I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. And then he would leave and he would go back to his dad's house and he would build a house, a little, a little uh, apartment onto his father's house that was going to be their bridal suite. That's where they were going to live out the first year of their married life. And, and he would build this place and his father would tell him when it was ready and then he would ride into town with all of his buddies and and get his bride and take her to the place for the wedding and then that and then they would go into that little bridal suite and they would live out their first year of married life together and Jesus on the night he was betrayed thank you he took a cup and he said I'm going to go away, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. When I return, I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, the signal that the bride would say yes to her, to the proposal, because though they believed in arranged marriages, it was the girl's decision. And the signal that the bride was saying yes to her, be her betrothed's proposal, yes, I will make myself ready so that when you come back, we can go together and live our lives together. The signal was she would take that cup and she would drink the whole thing. That was the Yes. And we missed that subtext because we, we didn't know that that's what that meant. But it is. This is the wedding feast. This is Jesus. At Passover, which was a traditional time for these kind of proposals to take place. And he took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. And he says, this is my body and it's broken for you. I'm here. I'm here for you. And if you want me, you can eat this. If you want me, you can take me into you and I'll be with you. I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And whoever comes and answers the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. Here it is. This morning, my friends, if you're saying yes to a life of loving Jesus with your body, but there is one more thing. See, this is Jesus' body, but we are Jesus' body.
When you say yes to loving him, you're saying yes to loving these jokers sitting next to you. When you take his body into your body, you are entering into the same body that they are in. You're making a commitment to love each other. Now you get to do it as you. But as a choice that you're making. And every time we take this bread, that's why the Apostle Paul said we should think about it before we eat the bread. And if we have broken relationship between somebody with somebody else that's in the body, we should probably fix that before we take the bread because this is signifying our unity with each other. And There's a name for a body that doesn't agree with itself. It's called cancer. But if you're ready to say yes, Jesus, I will love you and I will love your church. Then let's take this bread together. Now here's the cup. That cup is a promise from our betrothed, our groom. It's a promise that he put down in front of us and he said, I will do this for you if you want it. If you want to spend the rest of eternity with me, loving me. See, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And if, if you're okay with that, if you give your consent, if you want to be my bride, drink the cup. This is our commitment to Christ. That we're receiving his promise to us. That he is coming back. And he's going to take us to be with him where he is. Let's take it together if you're ready. We have a purpose, friends. Loving God and loving each other. We have the freedom to find our way into doing that. As we become our more and more who God created us to be. Let's stand. Father, I thank you for my friends in this room. I thank you for their love for you. I thank you for your presence in our midst today. I thank you for the words that you sang over all of us this morning. Lord, I ask that as we go from this house, that your love for us would live inside of us. And that your invitation to walk in the purpose for which you created us 
in freedom and joy. Lord, help us to say yes to that invitation every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I love you all. Join us for some snacks in the fellowship hall. Don't forget to sign up for the ladies' tea.